What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Today's guest is an international mindset specialist and a peak performance coach who teaches athletes, leaders, and high-performing teams how to clear their minds, break through fear, optimize their performance, and enhance the quality of their personal and professional lives. He graduated with a bachelor's degree from UNLV, where he was inspired to pursue this work by his faculty mentor and four-time world-renowned mental performance coach, Dr. G. James Silvis is the founder of Be That 1%, a movement brand and a podcast that inspires others to live on their own terms, overcome obstacles, and do what 99% of the people won't do. His podcast, his podcast is ranked in the top 1% globally and has reached over 130 plus countries. He's worked with over 8,000 people from 12 plus countries, and his client base has included companies such as Nike, Caesars, MGM, and Core Power Yoga. James Silvis, welcome to University of Adversity, my man. Hey man, it's great <laughs> to be here. And uh, you did you did good, man. So honored and excited to connect with you and share what comes through with your audience. Yeah, I appreciate it. And for all of you guys, that we used to do the live intros, and this was the first time we did the live intro. So I'm really glad we did that. And then it's a good way to kind of get things rocking. So um, I love your bio. I love our conversation we had on your show. And I'm, dude, I'm really looking forward to this. There's so many things that we can we can take this, so many roads. So first up, I want to start with a big question, and then I want to just see how we kind of, how things unfold from that. When we, obviously in life, we all go through a lot of challenges, adversity, struggle to get to where we are today. But if you had to think about one moment, one struggle or challenge that you have overcome that had the most impact on who you are today, what would that be? I have a personal professional one. I'll start with the professional one. Perfect. Uh, deciding to bet on myself as a business owner and and go door knocking basically to pitch my services in Las Vegas for six months straight, you know, and and getting no after no, cops called on me, people laughing in my face, told I was too young, what could I teach them? And that was a, a battle because I loved helping people. And yet when I tried, people didn't either see the value, allow me to do so because of my age or how I appeared. And that, that caused me to question whether or not I should even be doing this. I was 24 years old, very young, and my mind wasn't as tough or as clear as it is now. And so I questioned my value. I questioned my worth. I questioned my story, being that it didn't come from any trauma or, or severe pain. I was like, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I didn't make the right choice. And, and, and so it wasn't until I sat with a philosophy, which is what my brand is now, be that 1%, that I decided not to be a statistic. To do what 99% of the people won't do means to stay consistent, to honor your word, to to stay in there when it gets hard. And it was hard being rejected time and time and time again, wanting to start this thing and it not getting off the ground. Mm. And, um, you know, 
I kept going and now I am where I am, but that was really hard for me professionally. And then the personally, it, it, it was just accepting, I always wanted to be a parent, but accepting the responsibility of actually being a parent and holding my child for the first time. That was just a huge responsibility shift that put me deeper into understanding love and care and what it is to be a man and purpose. And it reoriented me as a leader, as a husband. And it was hard in the fact that like every day I asked myself, who do I want to be? Because I know whatever that answer is, is what my kids are going to see, what my wife is going to see. And that's what matters most to me. So uh, it's a level of responsibility that I didn't know what it would be like, but I'm glad that I've accepted it because it's made me better. Hmm. Let's unpack both of those. So let's talk about your, this is a great place to start too, because that feeling of rejection that you get from knocking on doors and speak to us about that because a lot of people don't realize how much rejection you're going to get in especially sales or entrepreneurship and they feel like they take it personally right yeah they feel like i must suck at what i do or i'm not doing something right and it like hits them and it gives they don't have that you know that tough skin that it develops and it like it, it isn't for everybody right that you can really get it can really mess with people and think and it like starts they start to question their self-worth right speak to us about that and you know how did you how did you overcome that because a lot of people stop when that that rejection comes yeah i think it for me it was like it was a purpose you know like uh, my dad when i was very young instilled a very um kind of he, he me our last name meant doing hard things it meant being strong being resilient uh if you have a goal and you care deeply about it you work until you get it these kind of principles and morals and so i developed early on a relationship with pressure mm. that was healthy that pressure was something that was a privilege in a lot of ways pressure revealed cracks it revealed uh places where I need to look to sure them up, to to fix or to reinforce or to optimize. And and being in sports at an early age also helped me instill some of that grittiness. Like playing football, you get hit really hard. I was a quarterback, so I'd get blindsided and I'd get the air knocked out of me. And it's like, well, what do you do? <laughs> do you get back up and you continue to play the game? Or do you say, oh, that was too hard. I'm going to go on the bench and just recoup for a minute. So I just learned like when you get knocked down, you got to have a reason to get back up or else you're not going to. And that reason can be, I'm, it could be an identity statement. It could be like, I'm the type of person that just doesn't give up, which causes you to get off the ground. Or it's, I want this so bad because there's nothing else that I can see myself doing. And that's why I'm getting up again. It, there's a narrative there. There's a purpose there that I think in those moments where I questioned if I was supposed to do this, I just kept coming back to that deeper reason of like, well, what else are you going to do, James? You're going to go back and work in the industry around, you know, drunk people and in the Las Vegas heat? Like, no, 
And what else would I do? So it's like, I have nothing else. I love helping people. It's making me a better person. And I'm learning a lot about myself. And those are all great attributes. So keep going. And so I think it's just a, it's a stronger purpose that gets you to feel something bigger than the fear. Because fear is a good. We need it. Otherwise, we wouldn't pay attention. And life wouldn't be as interesting. I want to talk a little bit about that, about the hospitality industry too, because that we both have experienced and you talk about sports, which it really does shape you into who you are, but also we both experienced the bar industry and working in that environment. Mm -hmm. Speak to us about that a little bit, about your experience with that in Las Vegas and tell us some of the things that you learn about yourself that kind of unfolded and how you kind of, what made you want to get out of that industry? What are some of the things that happened and then what was it that mm-hmm. made you wanted to kind of get out of that? Yeah. Well, I'll start off by saying that it was a phenomenal period of time Yeah, because it, it, it did teach me a lot about what was possible. Up until that point, I was not a big partier. I didn't, you know, I wasn't a heavy drinker, never was, and still not currently. Um, so that was just a wild environment to be in, to be in the entertainment capital of the world, you know, arguably, and to work at one of the top day clubs in the world at Wet Republic at MGM Grand, where the best DJs from all over the world come and get paid, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a two hour set. Mm. Uh, in the 117 degree heat, people going out of their minds, you know, bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, people who are single and looking to hook up, people on drugs, people just sober. Like it's just a melting pot of human desire and, <laughs> and wild, uh, like d- just things that get released there. Um, And so I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned from serving so many individuals over the course of three summers, uh, each eight months, eight months each in time frame, was you can make money doing anything. Like the accessibility to money in that space is insane. You know, as an example, my one of my first years Memorial Day weekend, I remember getting over tipped. Like like someone t- tipped me two thousand dollars on one table, and I was just like, what? Like before that, that was almost like a monthly payment for me. I just earned in one day. Mm. And that, that was one table that day I made $5,500. That's crazy. And I was just like, what dude, like I'm serving, I'm not even serving alcohol. I'm just making sure that these people are having a good time and I'm making this kind of money. So that just opened my, my my eyes of like, what do I want to create? And whatever that is, I know money will come. Like that was a belief that formed there. Mm. Another thing that form there was like <laughs> just communication skills and if i could if i can create a level of depth in conversation in that type of environment where where else can i do it you know like i'm getting to see these people in in a way that maybe not a lot of people do like they people go to vegas to be someone different in a lot of ways and so to to, to kind of see this new version of who they're trying to be for the weekend tied to who they were, where they came from, what city, what their profession was, what's going on in their life. And to to watch that transformation happen from first meeting them to by the time they leave, shaking hands, giving hugs, saying, dude, you're you're the best. Thanks for making you know the time here incredible was just uh 
like a masterclass in how to appreciate where people come from and and also know that there's limits <laughs> to how people should behave in those types of environments too because things can get out of hand very quickly. So it was like money and communication were like the major things that I was constantly realizing. What do you notice as a common thing about people that get stuck in that industry? Like, because, you know, for me, so many great people and you made so many awesome guests and the people you work with, but there, there seems to be this thing where people, obviously the money is great, but like, what else do you see? Do you see a reason that like with how people think or is it mm -hmm. trauma or like, what is it that, that keeps people stuck in that? Yeah. Well, I, uh, there's a reason why they call it golden handcuffs, right? It's, it's, it's easy. It's easy in the sense you don't really have to think. Like you just show up and you make sure that someone's having a good time. And, yeah. and that that's not too difficult. And then by not having to think and by making X amount of money that's relatively good and having three or four days off can provide a lifestyle where people can go and experience the world and have cash on hand that kind of make makes them feel like they have money and they're affluent and they could do things and they get access to people. So it's very alluring. And if you're not rooted in a clear purpose or strong morals, that can take you, it could like, like it could take you out to a place that you didn't foresee happening. And that's where people get lost. But a common thing that I've seen was there wasn't a clear vision of what they wanted out of their life. Like it was, it was something that they wanted to do to get money to hopefully then figure out what they wanted to do but they got lost in the getting of the money that they never did the work on what the money was for. Mm. And when you're around partying all the time and everything you do is centered around alcohol or those types of environments, you just, whoever you associate with is constantly in those environments. So everything you do is centered around it. And other friends that you had before the industry maybe aren't as close anymore. So you you don't really have an outside perspective to guide that future thinking. So you kind of just get caught in doing the same thing year after year after year after year. So much so the season ends and the biggest stress you have is, am I going to get chosen for the next summer to make the same money again? So you get on this hamster wheel of like highs and lows, but there's no direction. And so that was that was the biggest thing. I was like, so what do you want? Why are you why are you here? And people had a long a hard time answering that. They're like, well, I might do real estate. I might invest in homes and, you know, those are nice things to hear, but when you look at their actions, those weren't being done. So there's a lot of kind of short-term thinking, not a lot of long-term and people talking about things but then never actually doing them. I noticed that too. Not even in just in that industry, but just in general, most people don't think big enough. They just don't believe. They don't believe that things are possible. They'll talk about them, but then you'll see, and they're just in the same place they were year after year. And it's it's tough to watch. It's tough to see because there's so much potential that people just don't believe enough in themselves to actually take the actions, right? And in that industry, it's such a fog. Like you're partying late nights. It's like, yeah, next week I'll start. Next week I'll start. And it just, it keeps going. And before you know it, the years have gone by. And then the younger people are coming up. 
Like I remember when I was the young buck. <laughs> now, you know, yeah. if I was to go back, I'd be the old, I'd be the old man. <laughs> like it's, it's true. But you, true. you you know, there's those things and, and and I think so many people have a great talent with people in that industry that they underestimate that they could use that in other ways. And it's interesting with you because you know, you are 1% that got out of that without getting lost in it. Because the reality is most people get lost in it. And you were able to somehow, you know, get in there, you know, do the best you could, learn, you know, inspire people and then get out, which is like a very rare thing. Well, yeah, and I actually found what I'm doing now in that environment. Yeah, I, I got asked by the GM to speak to the staff, you know, quote unquote, motivationally every Friday for the the whole season, both seasons I was at Wet Republic, which has never been done before. And that happened after me telling the staff after winning employee of the week one week that this is what I want to do. I proclaimed that my first season at Wet Republic. I was like, I want to be a coach. I want to be a speaker. I want to travel around the world and I want to work with leaders and help them be better versions of themselves. And like I said that first season and then the GM's like, I want to give you an opportunity. Why don't you speak to us? And I was nervous and I was like, well, are you serious? Like, what do you want me to do? Like tell him to sell more alcohol, like motivate him that way. And and he's like, no, I want to help you. I want to support you. And so I said, yes. And that first speech went really well. People came up to me afterwards, said, you got to do this for a living. Um, someone recorded it, put it on YouTube and went viral within the MGM properties. And that was the beginning of like, okay, if I could do it in an industry like this, where else can I do it? And so the the two years that followed that, speaking to the staff every Friday was also that it kept my purpose clear. It's like, this is only short-term, 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 short-term. And then when it came time where I was like, it's taking a toll. I don't really, I don't really feel a sense of pride telling people that I'm like working in, at the clubs. Like I want to do something bigger. I want to impact people at a deeper level than them drunk and me having a you know a life conversation like there's other areas that I could do that in and so that's where and that's that last season I put my like I said I'm not coming back and said my goodbyes and that's when I went door knocking so it's just I, I was clear going in I was clear during and that's what helped me get out okay but how were you feeling when you got asked to do that because you're going in front of a lot of people that are probably intimidating <laughs> right I mean, what went through your mind? Because immediately I thought, I was like, oh man, I would doubt, I would be scared. I'd be like, what are they going to think about me? I don't know. This guy doesn't know shit. Why is he talking to me? Like, what was your thought process to just take that call or just to take that opportunity? Because I tell you, man, most people would say, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to do that. It's too, because you're in an industry where you got a lot of personalities and a lot of opinions. And like, just thinking about that, man, like kind of stresses me out. I mean, it was terrifying. Yeah. Like I'll, how, I'll how, did you you. how did you, what did you do to get, first of all, like, what was the, what was your initial talk about? And then tell us like the response and, 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 and maybe some of the things that you did to kind of to quiet that inner critic a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if I quieted it, but. I definitely turned up some other knobs. <laughs> um, so I first thing I was like, I was shocked. 
at first when he asked me because it was like, Wet Republic, arguably the number one day club in the world. You want me to speak to the staff? I'm 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 new here. I I'm not even a month into this team. Like, who's gonna want to listen to me? Like, are you that that was the dialogue, right? And he was like, sure. I you you said you wanted this. I'm giving you an opportunity. Do you want it? And I was like, yes. And I committed. And that whole day up until the next week, every thought, um, not every thought, but a majority of my thought was, what the hell am I going to say? Like, you have people who are in their 40s, young 20s, 30s, people who have been in the industry for 10 plus years, some who are just new like me, like such a variety of thought process, backgrounds, perceptions, all of that. And so every day for that whole week, I was just saying, okay, what do we all have in common? How did, why did we all get selected? What are we all, what are we doing here? What's the, what's the, what's the purpose of this club? Like, what are we trying to do? You know, those types of questions. And it came time Friday, the next week where I had to deliver this five minute talk and five minutes is not a long time, but it can feel like a long time when you're in front of people who don't really care to listen to you or what you have to say. So there's this weird situation. Um, the talk was around how hard it was to get into Wet Republic and the responsibility we have, having been selected, to provide exceptional service. 4,000 people, men, 4,000 guys, and maybe even more women, auditioned for 26 positions at Wet Republic. Very, very small amount, right? Women will fly in from all over the world to work at Wet Republic. So my first point was to get them to understand how rare it is that you were selected. So I had a visual of jelly beans, like a jar of jelly beans. And inside that jar, I had a shot glass filled with blue jelly beans because what Republic's colors are blue and silver and white that no one could see because the jar of jelly beans was filled, right? And then I started off with this jelly beans as a visual to kind of capture attention. And I said, how many jelly beans are in here? And people started guessing and you know, 4,000, there's 4,000 jelly beans in here. And that's symbolic of how many people audition for Wet Republic. And I said, but here's something that we all have in common. And then I open the jelly bean jar and I pull out the shot glasses. And those are of all blue jelly beans. And I say, in this jelly beans, guess how many there are? And no one could guess it, but I was like, 26. You have 4,000 people who auditioned for 26 positions. And here we are, the selected. Why did we get selected? Because we trained hard. We created really great relationships. We had a really phenomenal interview. We uh, maybe have provided exceptional service in the past and were brought back for those reasons. Whatever the reason is, there, the management saw in us something that they didn't see in other people. And so since we were selected, we now have a responsibility to show up and to create an unforgettable experience for every guest that walks through those doors. Because if we don't, one, we don't have a job, two, we lose our reputation, and three, we're not living up to why we were selected in the first place. And so then, then I went into like, tell me about your best day working in the industry. And I called on people and they're like, well, one of my best days is when I got a big side tip or one of the best days was when I was, had this bachelor party and they, did, they told me this, this, and this. And I was like, see, we can all create these moments when we show up at our best. And so my, my, my challenge for you today and for the rest of the season is to show up with a level of service that no one can match. And let's make this summer the best summer what Republic has ever seen. And 
that was like five to seven minutes. And at the end, everyone stood up, they clapped, and uh, 13 people came up to me afterwards and was like, that was incredible. You have a gift, you need to do this for a living. Wow. I was nervous that whole time. And I just I just had to make it about everyone. It wasn't about me. I was the spokesperson for everyone in the audience, which I think aligned me with them instead of like, look at me, I'm special speaking to you. Dude, that's so powerful in, 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 in a few different ways because you could have easily denied the invitation to do that and said, nah, played small. So nah, I don't want to do that. Do you ever think about what would have happened if you didn't say yes to that? Like I've you... thought about it a, a few times, but honestly, not a lot. Because the reason I bring it up is I believe those pivotal moments, man, so many people say no to, right? Because of that, like that, that opportunity that gets presented that we, we ask for, but we don't step up to the plate. And then, you know, these opportunities just pass us by because of our fears. And you were able to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to lean into this and look what happened from it. Then you got, you, you got that, you got that feedback from people saying you need to do this. It's such a beautiful representation of what happens when you answer the call. Like when you answer the call, you do your best and then the feedback comes. And it's just like, what if you didn't answer that? <laughs> well, yeah, this would be a different conversation. Well, it's, it's, but that's, those choices are, they, that, that's what makes us, right? That's what, yeah. And, and it's so important because I feel like there's so many people out there who get, who have the call, get that whisper, like, hey, you should do this. Nah, I'm not going to do that. And why is that? Why is, you know, the doubt, why does that take over for most people? Why is that? Why don't they trust in the abilities? Why don't they trust in that nudge versus the stories of why they can't do it? Yeah. I mean... There's there's a lot of layers there, right? One is maybe they've they tried something and it it failed epically, and now they don't trust themselves with their decisions. Maybe it's because they've been through so much trauma in the past that they've never really sat with themselves long enough to know what their intuition is versus what someone else's voice in their head is. Other times it might be a fear of if I do say yes. And it, and I let people and I might let someone down. I might let myself down. I might let my parents down. I might let the person who believes in me down, and then they'll reject me, and then we won't be friends anymore, and then I won't have this this circle of friends that are so supportive to me. Like there's a lot of layers there, but I think what's helpful to remember is no matter what choice you make, there's always risk. There's risk in choosing, and there's risk in not choosing. And when a person operates out of growth, if growth is the number one priority, which for me, it is. I made that decision in senior year, freshman year of, of senior year of high school, freshman year of college, that I growth is the most important thing. It's important in my relationships. It's actually what I told my now wife on our third or fourth date. I was like, if you're not about growth, respect, but like I've been burned in the past. I've been in part of relationships that haven't last. And part of it is because we weren't able to grow either on the same page or at the same time. And I need to know that you're down with that. And luckily she said yes. But growth for me 
is essential. And if that's how one chooses to live, you don't have an option not to, to you don't have an option to say no. Because by saying no, there is no growth. You're staying the same. You're staying in this level of predictability where fear runs the show, where survival is what's most important. And if you're living a life based on survival, I can I can predict what that's like. I've seen it enough times in my life through the clients that I've coached, and I've been there at moments in my life before I've made the decision to grow that it's not a place you want to be. It's safe for a moment, but then regret starts to come in. You lose your sharpness. You lose your edge. And then you start to lose credibility in yourself because you're not pushing yourself enough to know or to learn parts of you that exist that you don't believe are there. Mm. Those parts can only come out when you say yes. Why would anybody not choose growth? Like, why would why would anybody... Like if we ask nine out of ten, ten out of ten, ten people, like what what would you choose? Like, would most say growth, or would some people say growth and then do the opposite? I think everyone would say yes, but then when you watch their actions, and eight out of ten would not have any alignment between yes, growth, and then the actions that match that. Why? Fear. Fear is is the biggest contributor. Fear fear of rejection, fear of success fear of failure or imposter syndrome those are the four common fears that i've noticed fear of rejection being the strongest and if i if i fear rejection in anything my number one goal is to reject it first so that it doesn't have the power over me to reject me this happens in relationships this can happen in the gym right i want to get abs and i've never had abs and i see someone who has abs and i have to vilify them so that i feel better about my inability to be disciplined enough to get abs. Like I have to reject the thing first. And so that means I have to reject the opportunity for the opportunity says I'm unworthy. I'm not capable. I'm a failure. And so then I never try, mm. but I never try because I'm justified in why I shouldn't. Oh, only people like this do things like that. And I have to come up with a reason or a story that makes me feel better about saying no, but really it's about fear. And so the more work you do on yourself and the more you accept who you are, the more you love who you are and understand that who you are is never set in stone, that it can evolve as you evolve, then it becomes less about the titles, the status, the money, and it becomes more about what choices am I making daily and are those choices in alignment with who I want to be? And if that's the game you end up playing, you're playing an infinite game, one you can never win but one where winning is the playing. And that's where like life really becomes magical because then you learn to maximize the moment. And every moment is an opportunity to create, to synergize, to collaborate. And then you stop looking at people as adversaries and you start looking at them as compliments to who you are, to what you can do. And, and um, there's more compassion and, and there's more grace. There's more flow. And life just fits together like a beautiful puzzle. And you stop trying to force everything. Why do people fear success? So of, of those four fears, that's the one that I had the most intimate relationship with. And here's my perception on it. Fear of success, the way that I understand it from the research and from my own personal experience through me and my clients. Fear of success is not fearing the thing that you want. If I want a house, if I want a job, if I want a whatever... I don't fear the thing. I fear what the thing brings. So if I want 
a new role in my company that pays me $250,000 a year, good benefits, responsible for X, Y, and Z projects. It excites me. I want that. I might have fear of success by what that position now brings that interrupts in my life. So it might bring more pressure, more scrutiny. I might have less time with my family. I might be susceptible to uh, unknowns that I can't foresee, and I don't know how I'll handle that, if I'll even have the skill set to handle that. And so all that doubt grows bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you end up self-sabotaging that opportunity because of the fear of the things you think you won't be able to handle once you get the success. So it's it's a it's a it's a combination of my life will change in a way that I'm not sure I'll want. That's what fear of success is. So people fear what the success will bring and how they'll have to show up differently. Correct. And and, and probably consistently. So would you say then that that has to do with our subconscious and the beliefs that we have in there? Like, can we unpack this further and maybe talk about, say, somebody's listening and they're like, I'm not a fear of success. I want success. But really, you know, they, they do fear that. But why? And, and what can they start to do to maybe, um, you know, change the programming? Like, what can they do to shab yeah, her? So I love that you're asking this. I love that you're, you're going here. Uh, they're, they're, all these fears are really intertwined, right? And so part of having some fear of success might also be that you have fear of failure. Because once you get success, then you, you could potentially fear losing what you've worked so hard to get. And so now by losing it, you might let yourself down. You might let your spouse down. You might let the people who believed in you, who watched you rise. If you were to slip, you would let them down. So, so that can be there. But then also the fear of rejection might come in in that you may reach this level of success, but can you hold it? Can you sustain it? And if it's a one-hit wonder and you fall back, now the image of you, the reputation of you is not what you think it should be. And so, and so that fear can also cause you to lose it or not even get it, whatever that success is. And then you have the imposter side where who am I to say yes to this? Who am I to get the job? Who am I to earn that money? Who am I to fill in the blank when there's so many other skilled, credible people out there who I believe deserve it maybe more than me? And so I'm not going to say yes when the opportunity comes. I'm not going to go the extra mile because I believe someone else should. So I'm going to create space for that to happen. And someone's going to slide right in and take that opportunity. And I'm going to be mad about it, but I'm, I may not know why I'm mad. When if I were to drill down further, it's because there was a lack of worthiness there that I didn't take the initiative. I didn't believe in myself enough to say yes and to capture that moment. And so I let it pass. So I think it could be a mixture of all those things. And I will say on devil's advocate side that just because you don't want another level of your life doesn't mean that you're a bad person or doesn't mean that you should. If you've worked really hard in your life and you're truly at a place where you feel like this is what I've worked so hard to have and I want to go deeper with this, by all means. You know, I'm not here to say that everyone needs to have a million dollars and five houses and and all that stuff. Like we get to live how we want to live. But I guess the question comes down to 
what drives you, what's important to you, what are your values, and are you living in alignment with that? And if you are, beautiful. If you're not, there's some work to do. What if somebody is unclear of what drives them or they've done a lot of the work and they've grown, but then they've kind of lost sight of what it is that, because for instance, I'll use my own personal example. I think it's, I always like to, you know, kind of dive in with myself to better the question. So as I've gone on my own journey through healing and growing a lot, my priorities have changed and what I used to value has evolved and changed in different ways. And sometimes I personally can get stuck in having to keep things the way it was because, you know, you got to go, go, you got to keep going. If it's not working out, you got to keep going. But then there's sometimes where, you know, you got to pivot. You've changed. Like, I know I've changed. I'm, I'm, I'm a different person than I was five years ago, but there's this yeah. feeling that keep, keep going, you know, don't quit, don't quit. But then part of me is like, well, I want to be in alignment with who I am now. So how, so it's like, how does somebody like myself navigate that when things have shifted? Like my priorities and obviously the main goal has always been the same, but it's, it's changed, but there's this, this constant feeling of, well, you just got to keep doing the thing like that. And, you know, they did it on social media and, and, and then this comparison thing happens. So how does somebody navigate that? How does somebody um, that has been doing this for a while and they have changed and a lot has changed in their life? And, yeah. you know, what is that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So a couple of things that are coming up for me. One first thing is identity foreclosure. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but basically the premise is I feel I need to be who I once was because of the attention I got from being that person or the results I achieved when I was that person or the lifestyle that I have is largely attributed to that person. And so there's almost like this obligation to keep that version of you alive, even though you're getting a strong pull in a different direction. And that's hard for a lot of people to, to manage. And you know, I don't have a silver bullet answer for this, but I could say what's worked for me is is going to to values like and doing that on a regular basis. The who I was pre-kids is different than who I am post-kids. Mm. There's the same essence, right? Like same I'm still growth oriented, I'm still uh about challenge, I still am about integrity, but the dreams shifted and it doesn't make them any less valuable or any more valuable. It's just with the situations that happen to us in life, kids for me being a big one, shifted priorities. And there was some resistance at first to, oh, I now have to be responsible for another child. And, and now I just can't go on a whim and go do these business opportunities. Like I have to find a new framework to operate from so that I don't lose out on the memories I want to create at home and also continue to do the love, the work that I love. And that is, a, that I don't know if that ever goes away. That is a jug, thing I'm juggling still today. Yeah. You know, but, but it is an honest conversation about what's important to me. And what's important to me right now is, is creating time with my family, providing a living and doing the work that I love. And, and it's just, sometimes my work gets more time. Sometimes my family gets more time, 
but my wife and I are in constant communication about that. And I'm constantly reflecting on where I feel it's gone too far in one direction. If I go two months traveling, visiting 13 cities, and I've only been home six days out of that time frame, you better believe I got a course correct and go on a vacation with my family to compensate for that lost time. Or automate certain processes or duplicate myself in a way where I don't have to spend that much time doing that thing if that's the direction I want to take it. But it's constant analysis and a, and a constant questioning of like, what do I want or what do I want to want so that I don't get caught up in what I think I should want based on what other people say I should want? Yeah. Right? Or, or what do I value? And when you have answers to those, then you can create clear action steps that form from that. And then the results from that being the priority begin to build and evolve into a life that you've created through your selection of what is important. So would you say that it's important for someone to kind of reflect on their values and what it is they really want and take that time? Like how often does somebody do that? Because I'll be honest, I, yeah. I haven't really sat and done that either. And I don't, the people listening, you know, we all go on these journeys of growth, right? If you're growing, your values will change and evaluate. And, and, and yeah. obviously they're going to, the values may not change. Like the, the end result of what it is you want in this life probably won't. But a lot of the things that meant like what you thought you wanted and what you're getting isn't necessarily the same right and but correct but it's like well i'm told by this this influencer or this influencer that this is this and this and and it's like what the fuck do they like why am i listening to them like do like why you know what i mean and and the more i realize that it's about being at peace with yourself and it's like mm. calm and it's like ah you know it's it's yeah things have just shifted and I think being okay with that and understanding that for people like that are on this journey, that things will evolve, things will grow. And sometimes you have to have that, like you're saying, have the honest reflection of yourself, right? Because you got to let something go that isn't aligned with you, right? That's right. I mean, the only way to piece all that together is to reflect. Yeah. What causes peace in me? I, I don't know until I ask the question and sit with it. What environments are, are conducive for me to feel better about myself? I don't know until I sit with that question. And in a, in a day and age where there are so many distractions, 47% of the time, according to Harvard, our mind is wandering wow. somewhere, right? 50, nearly 50% of the time, you're not in the moment. 80% of the time, this is research out of Stanford, 80% of the time, you're thinking about something negative. So not, we're wandering and we're thinking about negatives. That That is definitely not a good recipe to live a, a life that is thriving. So we got we to gotta override our natural tendency to play it safe, to, to think about our own survival, which is challenging to do. But this goes back to the purpose. Like, what work do you want to do here? Who, what, what's something that you can attach yourself to that's bigger than you that gets you to get out of these tendencies that keep us small and that over time don't allow us to see our own, own true greatness and and to create a lifestyle that we can't imagine and the beauty that lies within that unknown until we we anchor into something 
and it might be smaller than bigger at the moment. Like it doesn't, you don't need to go to Mount Everest on your first decision, right? But it's a series of small decisions. What type of person do I want to be? I want to be someone who's honest. Okay, well, here's an honest conversation that's presenting itself to you with your significant other about how you're feeling. Do you say yes to that? Well, no, it's hard to do. Okay, well, then that is an opportunity right there to be more of the person that you want to be. So if you want to be in alignment with that, you got to have the conversation. It, it goes that granular because if you start granular like that, then your belief in your capability and resourcefulness to live life on your terms begins to grow. Mm. The more confidence you have in yourself, given all the uncertainty that life brings you, you'll enter that uncertainty with more confidence that you are capable of handling it. And then you take more and more quote unquote risks. You step into the unknown more. And the unknown is really where all the beauty is because you can create from all that unknown. You make the invisible visible. And that's one of the greatest gifts that we all have. You know, our minds take the invisible and make it visible, tangible, something we could feel, something that we could experience with our senses. Like that's, that's a gift. We don't view it that way. And it isn't until you reflect that you can start piecing this together and then start acting from it. Well said. What are, if you could give us listeners like three things that you would recommend, maybe they want to develop, you know, more of a better mindset or they want to do something on a daily basis to start building better habits. Is there, you know, three things that you could give that maybe you do that can start somebody on the path to, you know, a, a stronger mindset? Totally. Uh, first thing is, is fitness. Sound mind, sound body, sound body, sound mind. If you are unhealthy with your body, meaning it, you don't give it physical fitness, like you're not active, you're not moving it, bodies are designed to move, then there's a level of stagnant energy inside of your body that is only going to continue to build up. And, and if that goes unchecked, other behaviors such as addictions or numbing agents begin to enter the picture. Fitness is a very beautiful way to clear the pipes and also to um, strengthen the sensitivity of our body's natural receptors to feel our environments, to feel what people are feeling and thinking, and to be able to listen to our own intuition and to house our vital life force that we can allocate to the actions that we do. So some form of regular fitness that's challenging. The second thing I would say is do something hard every day. One thing in any area that might be to have that conversation. That might be to go to the gym and do a really hard workout. That might be to write two pages of a book that you've been saying you were going to write for 10 years now. <laughs> like one hard thing that keeps you sharper, that keeps you in the growth phase, let's okay. say. Um. The third thing would be to become more intentional with how you show up to wherever you're going. So before you walk into a meeting at work, what's your intention for this meeting? What's the outcome that you're wanting to get across? Who are you wanting to be in this meeting? What are you wanting to learn? These types of things. Because when you become intentional, you bring that energy into the space that allows for those types of conversations to happen. If you're just showing up and hoping for the best, then you're you're playing you're playing defense more than you're playing offense. And if you could play offense and get some points on the board, that's ultimately what's going to allow you to feel better. 
you get some momentum going. You say like, damn, I'm actually making progress on my own initiative, not having to be prompted by my environment. Um, and so I'd, yeah, I'd say those are some good places to start. An extra bonus would be to get into some sunlight 30 days each day, bare skin, as much skin as possible. So we got fitness, something hard. Mm-hmm. What was the, 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 th- the third one again? The, be intentional. Be intentional. These are great, man. Fitness, something hard, intentional, and bonus, sunlight. Yes. I think being intentional is such a great point because it's so easy to just do things aimlessly without having that intent. And yes, it's a great point. Like every, every single activity, have that intention. Like, what do I want? How do I want to feel after this? What do, how do I want to be in this conversation? Yeah, you interrupt the loops that we're constantly on every single day. Like our mind wants to just continue to do the same thing over and over because it's predictable and it's predictable, it's safe. What you're doing is just saying, do I want to continue the way things have always been? Mm. Or do I want to create something different? That moment of intentionality helps you course correct. At the fork in the road, if you always go left, you always know what left is. What about... If you were to pause and say, what if I were to choose the right? And then you go down the right, you get a whole new level of insight. You you experience a different situation that then helps you learn more about yourself. You're like, wow, that's actually wasn't as bad as I thought, or that's actually really, really fun. So then you choose right again. And then over the course of 10 decisions, 20, 30, 40, 50 decisions, two weeks, you're in a completely different space, all because you took a moment to ask. What do I want to happen? Who do I want to be? And how am I showing up? Last question. If somebody is struggling with adversity right now, what is one piece of advice you'll give them that they can walk away with today? You wouldn't be given the opportunity if you couldn't handle it. The value you're going to receive from this adversity is going to make you a better person, even though you may not see it right now. And this is going to be an incredible part of your story for whoever you tell this story to in the future. And if you could believe those things, and I have, through my experience, seen that to be extremely true, then settling down into those beliefs will allow you to see more of what's happening as opposed to allowing fear to be the predominant force of what's driving maybe the decision-making or the focus. And that expanding focal point or that expanding vision that you might have of this situation could allow a different part of you to emerge. And from that, your capacity for pain increases, your level of grit in uncertain situations increases. And as a byproduct, you will be stronger, more aware, and more equipped to handle adversity in the future. That's what the that's what I would say the lesson is in that situation for whoever's listening. Beautiful. Brother, thank you so much. Appreciate you. <laughs> this was great, man. So much value there. Where can everybody find you? What are you working on? Tell us about that. Where can we check yeah, you out? Yeah. I think Instagram is probably the best. That's yeah. where everything is, uh, all links and stuff. So James underscore Silvis, S-I-L-V-A-S. Um, I have a podcast uh, that you were on, and um, that was a great episode as well. That's called Be That One, number one, percent, percent sign, podcast. That's on Apple iTunes, Spotify, wherever you could find it. And really the goal is just to continue to get these mes- these types of messages out, right? People... I think whether whatever part of journey they're on need a reminder or a level of reinforcement to stay on the path. Because when when we all honor our own truths and seek our own definitions of success, we become better versions of ourselves. Rather than showing up and doing things that we hate 
or you know, doing things that we don't think we have a choice for. So just being that 1%, doing what 99% of people won't do. Love it. Thanks, everybody.